Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emigan Awardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you. Whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. My guest on this episode of The Emma Gunn Show is plastic surgeon Dr. Christian Subio. And in this episode, you're not only going to find out what it takes to be a plastic surgeon, the years in med school, learning to understand what a patient really wants and how to communicate with them so that you're both talking about and visualizing the same thing before anyone enters surgery. And hopefully this will be helpful for anyone considering surgery or with questions about cosmetic procedures. But you'll also learn about Christian and his entrepreneurial brain, because the more we spoke, I realized there was so much more to learn from him than just his incredible surgical skills and outstanding results. And if you want to see those for yourselves, I invite you to visit his social media where you can see his before and afters. And honestly, even from those you can see, he understands how to make a body look incredible. They are absolutely breathtaking. If you have an idea in your head of what a plastic surgeon is like, then I encourage you to just put that to one side. Because if you're thinking someone who is suited, booted, tailored, stiff, perhaps maybe poker face, then that really is not Dr. Subio. He, in his own words, went into medicine on a whim. He was a 16-year-old art student, a very talented art student, who wasn't all that sure about what career lay in front of him as an artist. He then saw a documentary that showed the results that could be achieved with reconstructive surgeries. And well, he never looked back. Artistic skill, medical training and surgical skill combined. And I will say this again, he has some of the best results I have ever seen. One thing we really linger on in this conversation is passion and the value in stepping back and really asking yourself what your passion is and how you can capitalize on that and turn it into a successful career. We also discuss being authentic and Christian is definitely authentic. He has a clear persona and character that as I've already alluded to probably isn't what you would expect of a plastic surgeon, but he has used it to build a healthy business and honestly based on what I've seen of him just on social media, I would have no issue about trusting him to operate on me for a a cosmetic surgical procedure. Isn't that bizarre? But it's absolutely the truth. We also discuss learning new skills, teaching yourself new skills, the opportunity cost of learning something for yourself for your business versus outsourcing it to somebody else, knowing when to delegate or say, nope, I'm not doing that anymore. And so much more besides, he has a real entrepreneurial spirit that I really enjoyed getting to know. It was such a pleasure to talk to Christian. And actually, our introduction was made by a listener who, after hearing the podcast I posted in December 2019 about my breast reduction surgery, DM'd me with a link to Christian social media and said, I reckon you would really, really love this guy. So a huge thank you to that listener. I'm so sorry. I cannot find that DM on Instagram. They're so difficult to track, but thank you very much. And it's just proof that if you ask me to get somebody on the show, I do my level best to get them for you. The links to everything we discuss will be in the show notes, but joining me on The Emma Gunn Show, it's the fantastic Dr. Christian Subio. Dr. Christian Subio, thank you so much for coming on the Emma Gunn Show. What a pleasure. Thank you, Emma. The pleasure is mine. I'm flattered. 
Oh, well, I, um, I got to be honest, probably like a lot of people, I discovered you on Instagram. In fact, one of my most excellent listeners, after I did a podcast about my breast reduction, sent me a DM saying, you have so got to follow this guy. You are going to love him. And sure enough, I have been hooked to your Instagram ever since. Well, thanks. That's nice to hear. Thank you. But you are a plastic surgeon. Correct. But if we are going in on your Instagram, we like you are a plastic surgeon. But as I just said to you before we hit record, you're kind of unsurgeony because you're kind of you're really funny. Well, thanks. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think uh, maybe what makes me a little bit different than the typical surgeon is I didn't really, you know, uh, there was a juncture early on in high school where I was uh, thinking of either going to art school or medical school. And uh, I don't know, I was a bit listless and needed some more structure. So I ended up going to medical school and then 15 years later, finally get plopped into the to the working world of plastic surgery. So I think it was that, I, I don't know, a uh, I think the fact that uh, I have such an artistic bent makes me a little bit different than that kind of, um, you know, manifest in different ways, um, you know, via the creativity on Instagram and, I, you know, the humor is another form of creativity. I just try to be as creative as possible. So I think that's the way it uh, manifests. And I really want to go back to that decision when you were in high school. Like, what kind of art were you doing and were you like, what was the look? Was it quite grungy? <laughs> Oh, I have a picture somewhere here. I looked like, you know, you're like this being British. Uh, I looked like John Lennon, um, Abbey Road years. I had the <laughs> long hair. I had um, the, I even wore the spectacles. Huge Beatles fan. I've even been to London, done the the, the, the Abbey Road walk and all that. But I think in college, <laughs> I, I fancied myself a uh, young John Lennon. And uh, it's, it's, it's cringy to look back on it. But that's how I looked, at least. Yeah, but uh um, but you know, in making that decision, again, I, I did all sorts. I did lots of cartooning, lots of watercolor, airbrushing, all sorts of stuff. Uh, but when uh, when it came down to it, I'm like, okay, what do I want to do as a career? What am I going to do with this? I, I I didn't really know. I was the kind of person that needed a bit more structure. Otherwise, I was going to wake up at like 1 p.m. every day and go to bed at two and get nothing done, play video games. So uh, I saw this documentary on plastic surgery where surgeons were fixing cleft lips and you know burn victims, acid throwing victims in India. Um, and I thought, well, that's pretty cool. That's a very artistic way to uh, to uh, you know to uh, it's an interesting way to apply art. Um, and uh, I really didn't know what I was getting into because signed up, uh, figure I'll do that and always keep art as a hobby. Um, and uh, yeah, 15 years later, 15, 16 years maybe of, of training and schooling, I had no idea what I was getting into. So, um, but that's that's how it started back in, when I was 17 years old, deciding that I wanted to be a plastic surgeon. And I don't think I've ever, in, in my career, having spoken to lots of people who work in your, your kind of role, I don't think that's a... a journey I've ever come across before that it was what am I going to do with art well I will transpose these skills onto the human body medical school yeah <laughs> yeah um and I think that you know to your point earlier where you don't seem very surgeony it, and that's exactly why I take that as a point of pride because uh you know it's like so many surgeons or doctors in general physicians are you know so scientific they use that half of their brain mathematical scientific where I think I kind of ended up in this field in a weird circuitous route um, where I uh, I don't really, you know, I focus more on the artistic side of things, on the creative side of things. That makes me a little bit different. And I've tried to use that to my advantage to distinguish myself. Yeah, because I've seen you described as a perfectionist artist. Uh, that was probably me describing myself <laughs> like that, yeah. 
um, no, it, it's um, uh, yeah, I, I would say I think any surgeon needs to be a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, some aren't, but uh, I think you need to have a, a degree of perfectionism to you um, because uh, certainly with you know aesthetic surgery, because it's all about that final look. You can't finish the procedure till it looks amazing. And if you don't, if you don't take that extra 10 minutes to make a perfect or half hour. Um, then you're, you know, the patients aren't going to be happy. You're not going to further your reputation and ultimately you'll fail. So you need to, to have some degree of perfectionism. And that also is another point because when you're an artist, when you're working on a canvas and your introductory video on your website is spectacular. Well, thanks. Is spectacular. Thanks. Um, and it really is. There's some, I might phone you later for, for, for some consultancy about how to make videos, but, um, there's something very different about them working on a, a living object and everything that goes with it. It's a complete, it, it's a completely different thing, isn't it? And it's absolutely different. And someone who's, you know, done both the traditional artistic thing and the surgical thing, I could tell you, uh, you know, you hear surgery, aesthetic surgery in particular described as sculpting the human body, but it's so different because, you know, someone can be an amazing artist and a terrible surgeon, um, or you could be an amazing surgeon and a terrible artist. Um, it, it's two different things completely, because when you're working on the human body, it's not like you're just sculpting with clay or with a cloth, like you're sewing or uh, working with plastic or painting, because in those media, you do something and what you see is what you get. With the human body, there's these certain rules that you have to literally operate by. You can't transect this nerve. You can't go through this artery. You can't lift this tissue too much. There's all these constraints, which if you don't respect them, you're going to end up with major complications. And in addition, it's not like what you see is what you get on the table. There is swelling. There is aging. You have to predict how the tissues are going to change with time, how they're going to stretch. Human tissues are a living, literally breathing medium, which is going to change over time like nothing else. You do a painting in the 1600s and you know, 400 years later, it's exactly the same minus a little wear and tear. But uh, you do a breast augmentation in a patient and five months later, it might look completely different as those, as those tissues descend and stretch. So there's all these rules. This is where the anatomy and science comes in and it's completely different than traditional art. So it's related, but, but, but uh, distinct. Was it a complicated transition? Um, in, you know, going from traditional art to like uh, yeah. cosmetic surgery, it's a, it's, it's so gradual that, uh, it, it eases that transition because, you know, when I mentioned the 15 years, it's, you know, at least in the States, it's four years of pre-med undergraduate, you know, so high school, then there's four med, four years of pre-med and then four years of medical school. And then I did six years of surgical training and then one year of fellowship training. So it's it's more of the apprenticeship model where they're not just it's not like okay I've done my anatomy lab and I'm done medical school you know dropping into the OR after that you you you, you try to find mentors people that uh, and that's the, that's the old model from the Renaissance as well where artists would study Michelangelo the Da Vinci they had um, you know uh, apprentices that would study under them and learn their technique over years it's the same model with surgery where you are given more responsibility you throughout residency my six-year residency you get to know the attendings and they if they like you and you're a hard worker they will let you do more and so in that way it's such a slow transition that you're learning to sculpt these the, these human tissues that it's uh, it's not as jarring a transition as it, as it sounds like that happens over many many years was it um what was it like when you really understood 
what was possible with your own techniques and tools and by your own surgical hand? Um, you know, that's such an ongoing process. Um, it's, I'm still learning. And that may sound scary as, oh my God, a surgeon who's operating is still learning, but any surgeon will tell you that. And the good ones will tell you that they are lifelong students. If you stop learning when you're 35 or when you're 40 or when you're 50, you're not going to keep up with the times you're going to fall behind. Um, so part of that is going to conferences. Um, it's visiting other people whose work you, you respect. Um, so in that sense, I'm always learning. Um, and, and I pride myself in that. Um, of course, I'm safe. I, I, you know, I think I produce excellent results, but I'm never going to become complacent. Uh, being a surgeon and really any field, any, whatever you do, you're always trying to learn new things. I think that's what distinguishes the excellent from the mediocre. Someone who doesn't rest on their laurels. They, they're continually dissatisfied with what they're doing, constantly trying to get better. And I anticipate, hopefully, I will be like that until I'm 70 or 80 years old. I just did an interview actually with uh, Dr. Jeff Rudiger from, um, well, he's on the faculty at Harvard. And uh -huh. he said something that um, I really enjoyed, which is where he said, today's miracles are tomorrow's normal. Yes. Yeah. It's, um, you know, certain techniques that you do now, if you brought them back to 1940, it would seem like magic. Certainly if you brought it back to the 1800s, it would seem like magic. There would be no explanation for how anyone could explain what we do today. So it's, um, there's a, there's a, uh, an expression that's, used in many fields, um, uh, but it's often cited in surgery, is that you're standing on the shoulders of giants. So um, all the techniques that I employ are not my own. I may take my little, little particular twists and spins on them, but I'm standing on the shoulders of you know, surgeons, great surgeons before me who innovated, and they stood on the shoulders of surgeons before them who innovated. So it's a constant pushing the ball forward over, over hundreds of years. You're no one, you know, Surgeons are a, uh, a very egotistical group, um, but I think they also respect tradition in that uh, they, they look up to people, uh, to, to their mentors. It's in the Hippocratic Oath, which is a bit much. It's like, I will view he who taught me this art as, my, as, as higher than my parents. It's literally in the Hippocratic Oath. It's kind of weird. Interesting. Okay. I need to print yeah. out that Hippocratic Oath and see what you yeah. guys said. I can't recite it. I mean, I, <laughs> I remember that because it struck me as so odd. I'm supposed to view my teachers as higher than my parents. When you go to the big um, surgical conferences, like I know uh, you would have been on your way to um, Cannes. Is it Cannes? Nice to the big... Uh, 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 Monaco, yeah. Yes, that's that, it. That's, uh -huh. um, do you have to sit by yourself and eat lunch because you, you say things like surgeons are egotistical? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't like, I don't know. I never feel like I quite fit in with the crowd again to the point where everyone being scientists and and uh you know very much into data and the academia i hated the whole process of academic medicine and coming up through the university systems there's, there's so much ego and pomp and ceremony and it's all dry data and who's presenting this i have no time for that so when you go to these meetings um it's it's a lot of that people getting up at the podiums and oh look at me and the old boys club um so in that sense, I'm not into that whatsoever, and I couldn't care less. I mean, um, luckily, that approach has ironically gained me some time at the podiums and, and get, gaining some notoriety, uh, but I think it's because I really couldn't care less. Um, you know, about the ego pomp and circumstance of it all. But uh, yeah, going to these meetings, I, I never quite feel like I fit in um, 100%, but, uh, but that's good. 
Okay, you know, that's I'd rather be the weirdo than the um, you know, in high school, I I you know I was more with the I hung out the art class kids, you know that that always seemed more interesting to me, like the bands that weren't you know once a band got too popular, then I didn't really like them so much, minus the Beatles. So uh, <laughs> yeah, they did quite well. <laughs> yeah, they were you know they were not too bad for themselves. Well, there was something about being an outlier. I think um, that that speaks to entrepreneurial spirit, which is actually something that I had when I was doing my research on you. I thought, ah, oh, this is this is a guy who has um, real entrepreneurial flair. But even just in that context alone, I think uh, I've noticed in all the interviews that I've done on this podcast, particularly with brand owners who started with nothing or who have really come up against the odds they are not the ones who want to be part of a crowd. They want to establish their own, their own crowd, but n- not to have people around them. But they just, they quite like being the outlier and it serves them really well. Yeah, and I think, you know, the medium through which I've furthered my business, as you mentioned before, has been the Instagram. Um, and I think why I've had some luck with that is that, you know, right now everyone is on Instagram. A- everyone, you know, five years ago, businesses, particularly plastic surgeons, they didn't want to be part of something so um, pedestrian, um, Instagram. But now everyone, every practice understands that in order to be successful, you have to have an Instagram presence. And because every practice is out there doing the exact same thing, they're all, oh, look at me in the O, I'm doing a tummy tuck. No one cares anymore. (laughs) Oh, look at me at the conference. No one cares. No one cares about, you know, everyone's doing the exact same content. And I think why I have had some success is that you know, trying to be different and it's going to catch you. I think I understand that medium a little bit more than some in that, you know, you have to be different because when people are scrolling, scrolling, scrolling high speed through their phone, they're only going to stop and pay attention when they see something different that catches their eye. Um, so you have to be unique. Um, and that's, a, I think that's a commodity in today's uh, social media world. But the thing is, is that you're not, um, it's not a construct, your point of difference. It's just, it seems like you are who you are. You aren't the person who likes the pomp. You, you are a perfectionist artist, (laughs) self-proclaimed. And (laughs) the content that you create is your, your humor. And I I guess you have very bravely uh, said, if that loses me, people, if people don't want me to operate on them, don't want me to be their surgeon because of it, fine but I will work on the people who do, right? No, that's exactly. Um, and, and this is some of the talks I give are on this, how to uh, find success in social media and in advertising. It is authenticity. And I say this all the time. Authenticity is like the, the, the most valuable currency in social media these days. People want someone who is the, their, their genuine, authentic self. That's why people like Anthony Bourdain was so popular. Um, that's why people like Gary Vee is so popular. They drop F-bombs. They're talking as they do. You know, They're not putting on a front. Authenticity is what people want, whether it's in cosmetic surgery, whether it's in a hair salon, whether it's in, you know, your, uh, in a, a law firm. People want to know who they're dealing with. Authenticity, um, being your genuine self. And as you mentioned, you know, my genuine self is I'm quirky. I'm, you know, I'm a little bit goofy. I'm self-deprecating. I, I don't take myself too seriously. So a couple of years ago when I first started, I remember I had this aha moment. I was at a conference and they were talking about being yourself in your advertising. And I thought, hmm, well, I mean, that's, that won't work well in surgery. I'm a kind of a goofball. Like that's not necessarily what one expects or wants when you're thinking of someone who's going to be operating on you, taking their life in your hands. But it's, you know, 
so when I started doing this stuff, doing my funny videos, funny posts, I was like, eh, this is going to lose me a lot of patience. I don't care. I'm in a juncture in my career where I'm professionally unhappy. I'm not finding my creative opportunities. I'm just kind of like, you know, punching the clock. Um, so that was definitely a little bit of a scary thing for me to do to start doing that. Uh, but in the end, I found that it resonated with people. What I thought was going to cost me patience gained me patience. Now you have to balance that. If ever you're going to, you know, walk that line of being funny or goofy or self-deprecating, you have to balance that by showcasing nice results. You have to balance that by by talking intelligently and teaching your patients, teaching your followers. So if you're going to be humorous, which is one of the most valuable things on Instagram, entertaining. If you're going to be entertaining or humorous. You have to find the right line where you don't turn and you don't veer into buffoonery. You have to, you know, balance that on one hand, humor and education, and on the other, I'm sorry, one hand, humor and uh, entertainment, and on the other, you know, credentialing and you know, showcasing results and teaching and gaining trust. So th that's a fine balance. But if you hit that balance, you will you will really enjoy some success with it. I mean, seventy five percent of my of my patients these days, if not finding me on Instagram have at least found me and then, you know, found me on Instagram, uh, you know, then followed me on Instagram. And then that they, they hear me teaching, they hear me talking, they see me showing pictures and, you know, and, and this way, when they do come in, they know me. Um, I'm a known quantity to them. It's not like 20 years ago where a patient, you know, walked into an office, spent 15 minutes with the surgeon, half hour, and then all of a sudden was on their operating table. Now patients know me, they trust me, they know I have good results. They, you know, they, they feel like they know me. So it's not like I'm trying to hard sell someone when they come in the door. It's just a much more of an organic experience. Hmm. And I think that was one of the things I tried to communicate in the podcast I did about my surgery. Just, I was saying, how do you get the most out of your consultation with a surgeon and I I said take I said leave the emotion at the door and I feel like if I had come in and used my normal vocabulary and way of saying things I don't think that would have I don't I don't think you would have said could you explain that again uh -huh. <laughs> do you know what I mean like I had to use more technical language to so that we were on the same page because I think there's such a fear of um I don't want to misunderstand what this person is saying because ultimately I'm going to be operating on her yeah and that's something i took note of when i was in residency i was you know going around with these attendings i was learning from and i'll never forget this one experience it was it was another seminal moment in my education uh you know in in uh, you do several rotations in residency um and one was like oncologic and i was with this doctor and he was explaining to a patient about her new breast cancer diagnosis and and he was saying, oh, well, the, the HER2 new receptor with the recent uh, data shows that if you do this hormonal therapy, it will do this. But certain cohorts have this. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, I'm I'm sitting in the corner of the room like I know what this guy's saying. But like this patient has no idea what this guy's saying. And he walks out of the room and she's like, you know, kind of looks at me like, like does, does that mean I have cancer? And I'm like, oh, God, like what a what a. What a terrible transaction that the, the fact that someone didn't have the self-awareness to realize that a patient is not speaking the same language as you like you like that. That was a very a wake up moment for me. 
And that always remember that don't don't take for granted that I went to school for 15 years and learned this language. It's like me walking in speaking Spanish to a person who's never had, you know, who isn't a Spanish speaker who's never had a class. You have to relate, understand where the the uh, patient is coming from, and speak in their language. And that's a skill that um, that uh, that I, I hope is being taught better in medical school and residency these days because so many docs are thinking on this level after many years of training, but not, and it's not a matter of dumbing it down. It's just a matter of making what took you years to learn digestible and accessible in just a, in just a few minutes with the patient. That's such a good point. It isn't about dumbing it down because you don't want no. someone to feel like they're being, you know, spoon fed it. No. And like, Hey, if I'm, if I go in and I don't know anything about, economics. So if, uh, if I go to a financial advisor and he or she starts talking on a high level, like, you know, I, I want it to be simplified. And again, not dumbed down. I don't care if they dumb it down for me in that sense. I'm just uneducated in that, you know? So it's a matter of just making it simple. I love Apple as a company because they, it's the, the beauty of simplicity. Um, and I think there's, you know, in, in any business, talking to your clients in an accessible and simple way is valued. I, I actually said to my accountant last year when I uh, became a limited company, I said, do you mind drawing me a picture? Yeah, <laughs> that would really that's help. Thing. That's <laughs> I'm always drawing for my patients because, you know, it's I'm a visual learner. I think coming from the artistic background, I view things visually and I find it has complex things, be it surgical or economic. I would ideally if someone could to draw it out so I can visualize it. I remember things better that way. Yeah. I, um, real quick, just because I found it, um, uh, the John Lennon thing to you, what I look like in college. Holy, that is amazing. Okay, so that is on your Instagram, so we'll definitely yeah. have to flag that up. Isn't that funny? That is amazing. Yeah. Um, a little bit too into the Beatles thing. You can be into the Beatles. That's no problem whatsoever. That's that's being too much into the Beatles. <laughs> when, you, <I'm> when, <laughs> when you look back at Subio at 19, which is what it says on that picture, listeners, I will tag that in the show notes. Um do you how do you feel about when you look back on your 19 year old self given what you have achieved because let's be Um, real honest about like you have you've created a really incredible business on your own terms as yourself which I think is pretty awesome thanks I I don't know I mean it's um like like what advice would I give that kid I don't yeah let's go to that that's a tough. I've I've thought about that before, and I know the the honest answer is I don't know. It's like, uh, it's it was such a long. I would think I would tell him to make sure you make time for those things which bring you joy, because especially having gone through medical school, it's like it, I mentioned before, I had no idea what I was getting into. And medical school is like so much information, so much studying, and you think once you get over that, whew, I'm done. No, then they drop you into the fire of, of residency, surgical residency, where you're working like 120 hours a week. Um, and, you know, and then I from there, I started as an attending doing microsurgery cases, 12 hour cases and just run ragged for 15, 20 years. And so I think I would tell him, just make sure that you always make the time for what, you know, what, what, what sparks joy as, um, I forget who says that. She's Marie the, Kondo. Yes, exactly. Find things. I've never even seen the show, but that, that phrase. Neither always, have I. Yes. Yeah, I, I heard that she said socks have feelings and I thought, no, no. That's <laughs> it. Right. Yeah. It's, we'll pick and choose from Marie Kondo, but, um, 
but you know what sparks joy in you and I, and I went for so long not having any joy because i was just you know waking up going to work slaving away and then coming home and crashing in the bed only to wake it up and wake up the next day um it's funny i have it uh, uh, posted on my wall here actually written on my wall it's a uh, i don't forget if this is thoreau who who wrote this uh, most men leave li- lead lives of quiet desperation they die at the age of 30 but wait until 80 to be buried, you know, and that, that's such a powerful quote from men and women. You know, you, you die, you let your passions die. And then you just go through life in quiet desperation, unhappy. So for me, it's about taking those little, like that moment when I decided, Hey, I'm going to start advertising my own personality. That was a little bit of a chance. I'm like, you know, I'm not happy right now. So I need to be myself. I need to express myself, um, embrace my creativity. And it has made me so much happier. Instagram is such a stupid thing, but it's made me so happy because I find myself now, you know, like I'm, you know, I'm I'm drawing every day and got, but I just, every day I'm drawing, educating my patients. I've found a way to, you know, I've harnessed Instagram as an engine to, for my business that also allows me to embrace creativity and create and draw and teach and make stupid humor and skits. And it's just been great. So, uh, so I think that's what I would, I would, you know, reinforce to that younger version of myself is don't, you know, resign yourself to something you're not happy with. Find what your passion is. And look, you know, in the end is surgery, my passion. I don't think surgery is my passion. I have I happen to do I think excellent results because I I harness you know art is my passion. So that is the medium one of the mediums that I that I use my art. It's about finding your passion. And if you do, you know, find yourself along in life at a path where you know science and going to meetings and journals and academia. If you find yourself ensconced in something that's not your passion, then it's not you know a a death sentence. It's not a a creative death sentence. Find your way, even if you're in something else, to embrace, you know, what you what your true passion is, and that's what I think I've done, um, and it works. It, it's helped me in my surgical results, and in business, and most importantly, um, business aside, what's so much more important than business and earnings and revenue and income is happiness. Because uh, if you're not happy, it doesn't matter what you're doing. That's what Gary Vee says all the time. Because um, you said a little while ago you were punching the clock and you were unhappy. You you were yeah. not happy in life generally, and it was. And I guess at that moment, was it partly that you could feel yourself on just this hamster wheel of, well, I'm just going to do this for the next forty years, and I'm. Uh, I would imagine that you'd be earning decent money and life yeah. would be all right. But yeah, that's the, that's the thing. I mean, it, it's not about the the money um and you know as as you you know surgeons do well plastic surgeons do well um but it's not it's not so at that point i was working for a hospital you know again doing 12 14 hour days some cases which were 10 hours 12 hours microsurgery very complex things and you know getting paid very well to do that and at that point i'm like this is not making me happy i don't care what's in my bank account i don't care if i could buy some stupid flashy car i would rather some of the best years of my life where i had that you know rolling around at 19 years old looking like john lennon you know with my spectacles and long hair you know with no money in my pocket those were the best years you know to that point um and uh, so it's not about the money it's about doing what you know makes you you know it, 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 it sparks the passion 
Um, and yes, money is important. I get that. I'm not. Uh, I'm not uh, ignorant to that fact that you need to be able to pay your bills and whatnot. But to a point, after a certain point, once you can provide your, for yourself and provide for your family, it's not about. I see so many people like chasing. Oh, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a plastic surgeon because they think they have this cartoonish version of of what that is. Driving around with some Lamborghini or, you know, living this Beverly Hills lifestyle. It's it's such nonsense. It's all a smokescreen. Uh, it's so it's about finding true happiness for me. I feel as though a lot of people can probably um, identify with that feeling of just feeling like they're on the hamster wheel and from the outside, everything looks great. But it's almost like, you know, when you're trying to light a cigarette lighter and it's sparking, but there's no flame and people have that desire to want to make a shift. What was it that actually caught fire that made you say, right, I'm going to start my own practice? Because you have a really nice practice in, is it the suburbs of Philadelphia? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it's... I think it was just a, a cumulative, you know, after so many years of doing just that, of punching the clock and spending these, you know, 14, 15 hour days and on call and just doing what I didn't love with no creativity, with no say in how I marketed, with no, with not, you know, answering to the man, to the hospital administration. Um, it was a cumulative thing for me where eventually, like after so many days of coming home exhausted and tired and unhappy, you know, just self-reflection you know, what's going to make me happy? And I'm like, you know what? I need some degree of autonomy. Um, I'm not the kind that can just punch a clock and then take orders and just like be a worker bee and trudge along. I need some creativity. So it was a, it was a, a slow realization that I needed to take the plunge, which is scary, you know, opening up, uh, opening up a practice anywhere. I remember I came beforehand, I came to the area to scout things out and talk to surgeons in the area and they're all, Philadelphia's a big city. It's a lot of competition. It's it's very tough, very discouraging. So it was definitely a leap of faith uh, to take loans out, open up a practice, and um, hang a shingle and open up and and build something. So, but I think uh, you know fortune favors the bold, as 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 the quote goes. You know, uh, with great risks come great rewards. None of the people in life that you see out there that are doing incredibly well, that have amassed something worthwhile. All of them have taken a risk in some fashion. I think that's important. Well, and that's, again, it sort of uh, speaks to the outlier thing of, um, I think I've heard you say before, I read you say something about being autonomous. And I'm sure a lot of people listening might uh, identify with the idea of not being, maybe not being somebody who thrives in a team. Teams can actually really slow you down. You know, we're not the Avengers who say, what is it? Uh, oh. <laughs> faster alone, further together. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, I always, yeah, I, I agree with your sentiment completely. Uh, I, I never liked the group projects, you know, in grade school and high school. It's like, uh, it's, I don't know. I mean, I like having control over, I guess that's a, a lot of artistic kind of people do. Mm -hmm. You want to build something and have complete control it's almost like the filmmakers. They they have a beautiful artistic vision of something, and then all of a sudden the, the 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 studio heads get involved, the producers get involved, and start making tinkering with the creative decisions, and that just ruins everything. <laughs> I think that's uh you know why a lot of people can't stand to not be autonomous. They have a vision of something, and if you're passionate about a vision, you do not want to compromise that vision or have someone else chirping in your ear or saying, "Oh, we're, we're going to fund this. You need to do X, Y, and Z." Um, I think people who are passionate about something, that's why entrepreneurs are such passionate people. The people that build, you know, Amazon, um, you know, Microsoft, all these things, they had this intense drive and passion to build, to, to, to realize their vision. 
Um, and if they had someone holding them back or compromising that vision, um, they probably wouldn't be where they are today. Okay. So you knew something in you told you that this would work, that if you did this, you would make it work because you believe in yourself, but you don't actually have the evidence yet. So if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, I, I hear all of this, this is me. I I'm still at the spark stage. I need that flame. What would you, what would you say is the, is the thing to get moving towards where you want to be? I think you need to have a clear plan. Um, so in, in here's where it gets a little bit dry and technical, but the business plan. So when I started thinking about, Oh, it'd be great to be my own surgeon. You can't just do that and like quit my job and then start looking into things. You need to plan and prepare. I just saw a quote uh, on Instagram, like, you know, I think it's on Gary V's page, follow Gary V, all you people who don't, he's amazing on Instagram, Gary Vaynerchuk. But he's like, you spend the time doing the things you don't want to do so that you can do the things you do want to do. So it's not a matter of being filled with passion and no plan. You need to plan ahead, put in the hard work, um, come up with a, you know, a safe plan, a solid and safe plan where you have, well, what, am I wanna, what do I want to do in one month, by three months, by six months? What's my one-year plan, my three-year plan? Come up with the logistical steps to make it happen and do it in a way where if it fails, and it may fail, that you haven't you know, ruined yourself. You, you have a safety net. You, so whatever you do, you, you have options. So I think you know, it's about taking that passion that you have and not being foolish with it. It's about taking that passion and planning ahead and uh, you know, it's a, a well-laid roadmap with safety nets. I think that's, uh, that's the way I would say to do it. And you mentioned as well earlier about mentors. And I think one of the greatest bits of business advice I was ever given was don't ever take business advice from somebody who hasn't failed and learn from that failure. Yeah. And uh, this is the last time I'll bring up Gary Vee, I promise. But he's always saying, (laughs) yeah, he's always saying embrace failures. He says, I love failing because every. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Failure is an opportunity to learn. There's no one, you know. You look at the the Beatles, for example. They they shopped around their album to multiple uh, record companies. One of the most famous bad decisions of all time was Decca Records, I believe. Someone brought them the uh, the the Beatles, you know, LP or whatever, and they 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 passed on it. And boy, were they kicking themselves. Um, any any group, any any business that has succeeded has failed many times and every failure they've, they've learned from and come back stronger. Um, so, so yeah. Well, you like Gary V obviously. Mm-hmm. What, what, what other, are you listening to, were you listening to any other people like that when you were making this decision to start your own practice? Because I certainly was, when I started this podcast, I was, I mean, I couldn't get enough of Joe Rogan, Tim uh-huh. Ferriss. Oh, Joe Rogan, yeah. Uh-huh. You should um, be on Tim. You should be on Joe Rogan's podcast. That would I, be hilarious. I'll, I'll re- I'm sure he. <laughs> I'll reach out. Um, but uh, you know, it's um, to your point about uh, the failure. Oh, oh, 
Did, what was your question again? I'm, my mind's racing here. Well, I was thinking about um, Gary Vee obviously is known for uh, being very motivational and inspirational. And I wondered if you would take, if you might be an outlier, but you're obviously tapping into really good sources. Yeah. Um, to your point about mentors, like yeah. I, I think that's incredibly wise, um, you know, because you can learn all this it, again, back to the standing on the shoulders of giants things. You know, you can learn all this on your own. You can make all these mistakes on your own, but wouldn't it be better to talk to someone who's made all those mistakes? Yeah, you're still, there's no way to get to point B without making your own mistakes, but the learning curve, there's always going to be a learning curve. All right. If you can get, the more prepared you are, the more you've talked to people who have done it, the shorter your learning curve is going to be. Um, the, the, the quicker you're going to get to point B. And that's a great point, Emma. It's like, you know, you have to reach out to people who have done it. Number one, to make sure that it really is for you. Um, but number two, to, to learn, to soak up their wisdom. It may take, you know, it could take someone 20 years to build a successful cosmetic surgery practice, or it could take them five years. And I think the difference is if they take the time, it's a wise use of their time to go around to people who have done it, to have some mentors to, to, to save you all those mistakes of making on your own. And there's also, uh, you uh, previously spoken about talking of Instagram, you built up a really, a really big Instagram following, a lot of engagement, which is obviously the important thing. And I know the algorithm has changed. It's obviously a lot harder uh, nowadays, I believe, to grow your numbers. But um, I I read somewhere, I think, that you started asking around and saying, who do, how much would it cost to do some filming and uh, surgery and for me to do this? And it was the prices were coming in at crazy, crazy amounts. And you thought, you know what, I'm going to investigate this myself. And so actually, all of your output is just you, right? Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned that the, the website video, it's a perfect example. Like, that website video um, was like a minute long, but it's it has a level of polish to it. And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back or anything. It has a level of polish to it that if I had gone to a company, a consultant company to, to do that, it would have cost, I don't know, five, ten thousand $10,000 for that one minute video with a bunch of B-roll and music and, you know, moving cameras and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and every time... Uh, you know, that's what made me want to learn how to do it. I didn't have the money when I was opening up my business. I was like, I can't afford to drop $10,000 on a one minute video. And hell, I'm going to want to do this again in a month. And and next week, I want to do something about uh, tummy tucks or breast reductions. Like I, I, you know, I, there's so much content that it's not possible to pay a consultant every time. So what are my options? Well, you can, my only option is to learn to do it on my own. And you can learn anything you want on YouTube these, these days. Literally, you can learn almost, you, pro, you could probably learn surgery on YouTube. Uh, I shouldn't say that. No, like you can't. That's a bad idea. But you can learn anything on YouTube. And what I did was I, I, I had a vacation. Um, and instead of reading a book, which would have been a nice use of time, a Stephen King book or something, what I did was I got on YouTube and I learned, um, you know, video editing and lighting you know, and, um, and basic microphones, audio visual, what exactly, like what makes, what makes, you know, cause I was seeing so many surgeons post a one minute video and it would sound like they were talking from across the room. And even if the lighting was good, even if the resolution was good, it, if the sound quality was poor, it just looked like a crappy video. Um, so what I did was I took that time you know, I took that vacation instead of reading books. I was just on YouTube by the pool learning video editing. And then I got home and I bought some equipment. 
um, you know, for maybe two or three thousand dollars. It's an investment, but it has paid back. I've I've produced hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of look, it's never going to be professional level unless you're professional, but it's pretty damn good. Um, so I would I would uh, say that to your listeners, like if you're interested in producing content, take the time, go on YouTube and learn about audio, learn about visual, learn about lighting, about mics, about editing. Editing is a huge one. Um, and you can learn it if you take the time, like anything else in life, if you put the time, you'll, you'll reap dividends. Well, it's the opportunity cost, isn't it? It's like, what will, what am I going to save myself if I just pay the money to the consultant? And as you say, all I get is a video. I don't get any knowledge or skill uh -huh. from doing that. Yeah. And if That's you paid, it. sorry, go ahead. No, no, please. I mean, to your point, yeah. You, 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 I, on one hand, I could pay. I could have scraped together $10,000 for that one minute clip and I'd have done that and it would be the same clip or maybe a little bit better on my website now. Um, but then I would go forward with no skills. I haven't learned anything. I haven't bettered myself. Uh, because I invested the time, I didn't have the money at the time, I invested my time and I grew and I've used those those skills I learned for everything I've done going forward since. And that's part of the reason why I think, you know, as far as a lot of the surgeons and doctors out, out there, at least I can produce better content because I took the time at some point I spent maybe 50 hours altogether. It's a lot of time, but, uh, Hey, if you spend $10,000 for that consultant, how many hours did it take you to earn $10,000? Think of it that way. Mm -hmm. You had time and you have money. And one of those scenarios leaves you a better person, a more knowledgeable person with a skill set that you can use again and again and again. One of the, I mean, you obviously like a motivational slash inspirational quote, who doesn't? And one uh -huh. of my favorites, a recent one is from passion will follow hard work and with hard work and skill will follow success. Uh-huh. Yeah, per it's exactly. It's, That's it's, you. It's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's anyone, you know, hard work, people, especially on Instagram, you see the you see people who are successful at what they do, but you don't see the hard work that goes into it. You only see the tip of the iceberg. You don't see the thousands of hours that went into building a brand and to all the failures and all the heartbreaks and all the, you know, all the blood, sweat and tears that goes into building something. Uh, so for your followers who are entrepreneurs, um, maybe a bit younger looking to start something, it's all about, you know, especially with millennials get a bad rep these days for not wanting to put in the work. So I would say maybe old geezers like me could tell you, put in the work. It will, you know, it's uh, nothing, nothing worthwhile is built easily. Do you think age is a factor? Um, it is if you fall into the trap of being the old dog who won't learn new tricks. Um, so in that sense, if you fall into that trap, then yes, age will be a factor. Because uh, there's always the next generation ready to pound down the door and come, you know, doing it with new technology, doing whatever you're doing better. Um, so there are, you know, there are surgeons right now who are in residency who could probably produce way better content than I can on their phone. And what takes me time to do with a camera and, you know, Final Cut Pro on Apple, they could do in five minutes on their iPhone. So it's about not getting to the getting into the old mentality about keeping a young, fresh perspective on things. So for instance, what took me, so I, I live by that advice. So instead where I used to take my SLR camera and then go to Final Cut Pro and spend hours editing, the busier I've gotten reaping this 
rewards of, of, of that work. Now I have less time. So what I'll do is I'll go to my iPhone and go on like video leap and I will quickly put together something on my iPhone. And with the, you know, the recent, you know, things keep getting better and easier. And these days it's, I might as well just do it on my iPhone because the, the, the picture, the sound, everything's mm -hmm. so amazing. The, the video apps are amazing. So it's all about keeping up with the times and not allowing yourself to fall into a, you know, a complacent routine. One of the other things I like uh, about your approach to surgery as well is that, um, like, if you go on your Instagram, your tummy tuck and your breast work is incredible. And I Thanks. read somewhere that you said that's the stuff that you really not just feel that you're good at, but you enjoy. And I do think there's a lot to be said for uh, understand understanding that obviously with work, there are going to be things that you don't love doing. But I read, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you used to do rhinoplasties and you were like, hmm, no, I'm not going to do those anymore because it wasn't really giving yeah, you the a, juice. Well, it's a, it's a mixture of two things. Um, and, you know, I learned a lot of what I learned at conferences. You know, that's when I take, you know, during the, week, the typical work week, I'm busy running around doing X, Y, and Z. It's when I go to conferences where I put all that aside and I, and I introspect and I learn and I step back and try to grow. Um, so I remember it was, you had these aha moments. And I remember another one was I went to a conference and they were talking about, look, you can't be good at everything. If you try to be good at everything, you will excel at nothing. You will never distinguish yourself and distinguish your brand. Part of being excellent and making a name for yourself is realizing your strengths, which are often what you enjoy doing, and realizing your weaknesses and honing your business into what you're excellent at. That's how you become a niche provider. You become the best at what you do. Um, it is by not trying to be the best at everything. And this is where you have to take a, you know, your ego needs to swallow that bitter pill that you can't be the best at everything. When it came to rhinoplasties, um, you know, surgical rhinoplasties, I, I thought I did a pretty good rhinoplasty, but look, I'm in Philadelphia. I'm not in, you know, Nebraska or South Dakota or something. And there's a lot of surgeons around Philadelphia, a lot of facial plastic surgeons, a lot of rhinoplasty experts. And part of what I realized was, look, I do a good rhinoplasty, but it's not the best. There's Dr. X, Y, or Z who does a better rhinoplasty. So look, why not just refer my patients to them and I could focus on what I love doing and what I do better than most, all right? And, and that has allowed me to focus. Focus is part of success with business because if you try to do some of everything, you'll never succeed. So the focus is, you know, is cutting off all of which you're, you know, not the best at, and you, it's a distraction to really honing your skills that you can be the best at. And I think as well, when I've seen on Instagram, like particularly the tummy tucks, they look so good. And nice. I've seen tummy tucks in real life <laughs> where it just looks like a drum because the skin uh -huh. has just been pulled tight. You make it look like they they were born nubile, <laughs> basically. Nice. That's a, that's a nice compliment. Thank you. Yeah. I, I think, um, it's one of the things that I've really, I love tummy tucks because, um, you know, there's a lot of different surgeries in, uh, you know, in cosmetic surgery, a lot of different procedures you could do. Tummy tuck I have found is one of the ones that produces such an amazing before and after that patients are just thrilled. Obviously look, aesthetic surgery costs a lot of money. So there's nothing I hate more than doing a procedure where the results are they're okay. You've, you've, effected some changes, but the patient has spent $10,000 and they're like, 
yeah, I see a difference. It's nice. That's the worst feeling. Look, if a patient spends that kind of money, I want them to be coming in like, wow, I can't wait to try on my new wardrobe or get to the beach. Just like look, they, they come in beaming. And for me, uh, tummy tuck is one of those procedures that, that, that does just that. And that was something when I asked in the Facebook group, I asked a lot of uh, listeners, you know, what would you, what, what questions do you have about cosmetic surgery, about a consultation? And a lot of them did say, well, what actually works? What, I mean, I think, I mean, we can just insert every single type of surgery. And at the end of it, it was whether it's jowls, whether it's tummy tuck, whether it's love handles, whether it's lipo, whether it's breastwork, whatever it might be, it was, does it actually work? And so does it? now work are yesterday's miracles today's normal um i I think it it depends on the procedure you know uh, and it depends on who's doing it. it's so individualized um which is why i'm a big fan of the niche specialists um you know because a facelift in the hands of someone who does three facelifts a year that result will never be as good as the surgeon who does 500 facelifts a year um, so does it work? It depends upon the surgeon you go to. It depends upon the technology because, you know, a lot, understandably, everyone wants a quick fix for things. No one wants to pay the money. No one wants the downtime. No one wants the risks involved with the more involved surgeries, but there's no such thing as a free lunch. There's, you know, it's every in cosmetic medicine, the more effective something is, the more reliable the result the more costs, the more downtime there is. It's just, there's no way of escaping that. So a lot of things, there's always trade-offs. If it costs less, if it has less downtime, it's not as efficacious. And where you need to be suspicious is where those, you see these things advertised um, as a quick fix, a lunchtime this or that. Yeah, there's lunchtime lunchtime fixes for things, but they're never going to be as amazing or anywhere near in, in the same ballpark as as the surgical procedures surgical procedures unfortunately are are still the gold standard maybe one day but right now we're not there where non-invasive options are just amazing because that's something you do on your instagram as well like you are not afraid to call it out and say if you see this vocabulary in a surgeon's post just don't follow him don't or her don't go and get your work done with them because it's a bag of you know yeah and and that's it's uh it's that's uh serves a couple purposes you know number one it just annoys me i hate seeing people being fooled it just like goes to the old medicine shows of the of the united states back in the 1800s i don't know if they had a similar thing in, in britain but um you know there's doctors quack doctors going around from rural town to rural town selling their snake oil literally mm-hmm. you know oil it's it, it, i'm not sure you guys have that expression as well snake oil no, no, we do it gets used yeah. a lot to talk about um alternative therapies crystal healing at the moment yeah, that was big in the United States in the 1800s and turn of the century. These doctors, medicine men, would go around, take their cart to rural towns where people were not as educated, and they would sell oil, snake oil, which is a magical panacea to whatever whatever ails you. And it was just oil with a little uh, pepper in it. So you put it on your joints, and you feel this warmth, and, oh, it's working. Um, there's so much of that in medicine these days, and it annoys me to see people – Especially as an educated professional, someone who has spent 15 years learning what I do, I take that vocation very seriously. And I went, and especially when seeing doctors take advantage of the fact of that fact that they're a doctor, that they are viewed as a as an expert, as a professional, as a healer, and to take that calling and to bastardize it by 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 
pushing these fake cures or these quick fixes, it annoys me. So I'm not afraid to, on Instagram, get out there and call it out um, because, it, number one, it annoys me. It's wrong. Um, but it, that, that has also served to further my brand as, you know, patients can then trust me as someone who's telling it like it is, someone that tells the truth, who's not going to sell them this bunch of nonsense. So it, it, it makes me happy on two levels, that I'm doing a service for the public. And then guess what? It, it works out well for my business as well. It's a win-win. Um, if someone comes into your practice, having seen you on Instagram, um, how do you create a professional consultation? Because I would come in and I'd just be like, let's just do some SNL skits. <laughs> it's, it's funny. I, I, I think all the time, I often forget like what I do on Instagram because in the end, when a patient comes in, you have to, one has to be very doctorly, very professional. Of course, I always make jokes with patients and I'm very, I try to be relatable and put them at ease. But uh, certainly when they come in, sometimes I'll be taught, have a very, very technical conversation with them about, let's say, uh, tummy tuck or breast augmentation or breast reduction. And I'll be going through the steps. And I'll be like, how did you hear about this here? And they're like, oh, on Instagram. I'm like, oh, you're probably wondering why I'm being so serious. Like, because, <laughs> I mean, there's a time for, for having fun. And then there's a time to really talk about surgical risks and stuff like yeah. that. That's very serious stuff. But uh, so it, it's a, it's, that itself is an art form trying to, trying to navigate that line where, look, again, I don't want to walk in like that typical stiff doctor with the head mirror on and with the clipboard, but, you know, I, I want to be relatable and have fun. I usually crack a couple jokes, put them at ease, but then when, when it's time to talk about business, you get the business. You, you become serious when you're having a serious discussion. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a balance. Yes. Now, I'm curious. So from your perspective, when somebody comes to see you and they want to have a surgical procedure, and I can only draw my own experience of surgery, which is that I was very emotional. I really wanted a breast reduction. I was sick of this uh-huh. and that in the past. And I'm curious what it's like for you when somebody comes in and is so emotional but also for somebody listening who's maybe thinking I think I want this done it causes me emotional problems but maybe I'm just being silly can you give any signposts for actually validating what they might think and why not necessarily they should have surgery but why it could be a consideration do you see what I mean yeah I think from my perspective the best thing I could tell those listeners who are potentially considering such a thing and you know waving it off as oh that's whimsical or unnecessary or vain I mean look in the end do what makes you happy um and if you're walking around let's for for your example if you're thinking about breast reduction because your breasts are way too large and your back hurts and your neck hurts and your bra straps are digging into your shoulders and you hate walking into a room and feeling like no one's looking at your eyes. Don't downplay like that. Those are real concerns. If that's making you unhappy, that's making you unhappy. Do something about it. And don't let anyone tell you, don't let your partner, I see partners, I see boyfriends and husbands and or family members, mothers, sisters, oh, don't do that. You don't need that. Do whatever makes you happy. It's your life. You only have one life. Do what makes you happy. And I could tell you, as the person on the other end of this who has seen thousands of patients through these kinds of procedures, that it makes them, it does, it works. It makes them so happy. They say, I wish I did this 10 years ago. I, my only regret is that I did not do it sooner, that I went 10 years, you know, 
with back pain and neck pain and not being able to jog and do jumping jacks and and just feeling like I was, you know, like I wasn't defined by my breast size. Like, so, I mean, just do it. If it, you don't have to do it, go in and have a consultation, find someone you have a good rapport with, go talk to them. And, um, and, and I can tell you again, from someone who's done thousands of these, that the vast, vast majority of patients are just so thrilled with the results and they're, they just wish they did it sooner. So don't let anyone, including yourself, hold you back from something that may make you happy. Life's too short. Because if you go and have a consultation, it's not a commitment. Really, you're going to see what's achievable, right? Oh, exactly. And if you if your surgeon is giving you the hard sell again or pushing you into surgery, then you get a second opinion, get a third opinion, get a second or third opinion anyway. Mm. It's, it's it's always smart to have options. But it's, yeah, there's nothing committal about the um about a consultation. You go and you sit for fifteen or thirty minutes with the surgeon, talk it over, and just kind of get some information on things. I think what I found quite useful, actually, is because I had thought it was not not only my head, but I thought, well, my body grew like this and my body's not weird. So this is how a body can be. What actually was quite interesting about my consultation, I wonder if you ever say this, see this light go off in people's mind, is understanding that it wasn't something that was wrong, but it was something that could be changed. Yeah, that, that's a it's a delicate thing to, you know, uh, I've thought a lot about this, about the the reasons for doing cosmetic surgeries, and where where cosmetic crosses over with um, with reconstructive, a, a thing like breast reduction. That's a perfect example, because I mean, yes, it improves the look of things, and it, it to get closer to the aesthetic ideal, it lifts the breast, it reshapes the breast, it makes the breast more round, but it also serves a reconstructive purpose, like a medical purpose. Someone has back pain and neck pain, or headaches, um, or rashes under the breast. Um, so it's a, so it's a, it's a fine line. Like there's nothing. You know, I never want a patient to come in and think leave a consultation if they decide not to do it, thinking I'm not there's something wrong or that I'm flawed or something like that. It's not. There's no such thing as right. There's only symptoms and happiness. You know, and if if something's going to improve your happiness or your self esteem, you know, for the right reasons. Or your back pain and neck pain and your posture. It's it's there's only symptoms and happiness. And there's no right or wrong or flawed or better. We are all people with anatomy and there's a wide variety of anatomy. Um there's nothing so there's no judgment involved. I like this very much. I, there's no doubt about it. Had uh, I found out about you after my surgery because I spoke about it and one of my excellent listeners said, please follow this guy. Had I known about you beforehand, there is no doubt I would have flown to Philadelphia and I would have found friends to stay with and I would have had you do my surgery because having looked at your website and your before and afters on Instagram, your work is unbelievable. Oh, thanks. That's that's really nice to hear. I mean, I, like, there's this is you know there's a lot of travel medicine these days. People traveling around. I see a lot of patients traveling. Um, you know, I would hope that patients. Yeah, there, there's if you do the research. You could probably find people like as long as you know. Look, if you're in South Dakota, I don't know how many plastic surgeons are in South Dakota. Okay, for an example, or um, you know, rural parts of Britain. Like, but there's always. I don't think people need to really travel too far. If you do some homework, you could find mm -hmm. someone. Close. I just hate seeing people travel. You know, like because I'm like, ah, I'm flattered, but uh, I, I wish you didn't have to go through that. You know, the. Um, so just do do your homework. Um, 
you know, it's a, in, in picking a good surgeon, um, it's not about just about Instagram because even though much of my practice thrives from Instagram, you have to be careful because you only see the good results on Instagram. Any surgeon has complications. I have complications. Any surgeon has the occasional mediocre results, myself included. No surgeon is posting them on Instagram. So you have to just keep that in mind um, that, uh, that you know, you want a surgeon who is honest and talks to you about, hey, if you have a less than ideal result, what are we going to do? What's the game plan then? That's an important question to ask your surgeon. Is that surgeon going to be like disappeared, got your money and gone? Or is that surgeon going to, if you have an area that's a little bit thick of scar, they're going to revise it for free in the office because you've already paid so much money. These are things, that's an important thing to talk about with your surgeon. Contingency plans. What if I'm not happy? What do you do in those instances? What do you do if there's a complication? Because no one posts about that on Instagram. That's such a good point. Gosh, I hadn't even thought of that. That those are not yeah. questions that I asked. And luckily you did just fine. But like, you know, if you're the patient with the complication, it doesn't matter if it's a complication that only happens in 1% of the population. That complication is 100% to you. Mm. You know, so, so that you have to think that through as well. What if it doesn't go as planned? What if it's not perfect? What if I want something changed? Ask these questions to whoever you consult with. Now, you're, we're recording this episode during global lockdown. Um, so I'm guessing you're not getting, you know, scrubbed up every day and doing what you normally no. do. How are nope. you coping with that? Are you finding space for new opportunities or are you chomping yeah. a bit? No, and look, a little bit of everything. Um, as far as the business goes, any plastic surgeon now has switched to virtual consultations, which luckily I did a lot of before. Um, but it's, you know, it's, so I'll do comp consultations online. Um, so that, you know, keeps some business at least planning for the future. We don't know when we're going to open, who does. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, I'm using this time instead of just binge watching Ozark or Tiger King or, you know, all this great stuff on Netflix, you know, you can handle this situation in two ways. Number one, do the safe thing, stay inside, do your civic duty, stay inside, um, and number two, take this time to introspect. Do things that you haven't had time for before. Ideally, things that are going to better you as a person, that are going to better your business, that are is going to better your family life. Um, so yeah, watching Netflix is amazing and fun. And I do carve out a little bit of time for that or reading a book that you haven't gotten to. But I think the key is finding, you know, this is a, a unique opportunity. I will never again until I retire have three or four weeks or three months, who knows, of free time. So what I'm trying to do is I'm thinking about uh, doing a book on injectable, uh, injectable medicine. So I'm doing lots of, I'm doing lots of online uh, webinars um, about, I'm trying to teach injectors because another thing I like to do, tell me talk some breast work and I like to do injectable stuff, fillers. Um, so I'm trying to, you know, teach and educate um, and doing online classes for other injectors. So um, it's, it's about, finding things that are going to, you know, do something that's productive. Yes. I was just talking with my wife about this. Like doing a puzzle is, you know, yeah, it's a way to pass the time and, and no judgment. If you enjoy doing a puzzle, you know, and do the puzzle, but why not like think of something that might create something of your own or, you know, might, you know, change you as a person or, you know what I mean? Do something mm -hmm. productive as opposed to just watching TV or reading a book. For me, it's about trying to find something that is going to allow me to create something that will be around after all this is over. That's really interesting. I like that. Find a creative output that will have value mm -hmm. and you won't just park. And then remember yeah. that spring when we did that? Exactly. 
I said to my wife, like, if I come out of this and nothing has changed, I'm going to be very disappointed. You know, if I haven't done something or left something behind from this three months or, you know, bettered myself in some way, I will, I will have considered a failure of an opportunity that will never present itself again. Wow. That, is that a, is that coming from Gary V a little bit? Um, I, I don't know. Uh, it's just like, uh, I, I think that's, you know, I'm sure he, he he's probably saying the same thing, like, but it's just about like, you know, wanting to better yourself back to the beginning, what we talked about, mm -hmm. like, you know, you know, it's, it's always wanting to better yourself. And that is a, you know, it's, it's something that uh, defines, I think, entrepreneurs and, you know, people with successful businesses and people who are not complacent. So when I view this, you know, this, the, these three months or who knows how long it's going to be one month, three months, you know, I want to use it as an opportunity. Um, for myself, for my business, um, for my family, spend get to spend more time with my with my little guy. So, yeah, that's a really nice way of looking at it. Yeah, you have to. Uh, as I recently had psychotherapist on the podcast, and we talked about this, and we talked about reframing, and exactly that. Don't see it as what you can't do; see it as what it's allowing you to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people are sitting around, like, understandably, like you know, revenue is frozen. Bills have not completely frozen, mm -hmm. so I get it, and and I'm not. I don't mean to be blasé, or you know, a lot of people are wondering where their next paycheck is coming from, and how, you know, how they're gonna, you know, pay for the next grocery bill. So I don't mean by any stretch to um, to diminish the, the real concerns that are coming out of this, but those concerns aren't. You know, there's things you could do things about, and things you can not do things about, you know, I think the prayer of St. Francis, it, you know, give me the, the wisdom to understand, you know, what, uh, what I can and cannot change. Um, uh, and, and this, you know, we can't change what's going on. So it's about, like you said, reframing it. Mm. What can I do with it? How can I make it as positive a thing as possible? With that said, how long do I have to wait for you to do a full Tiger King, Instagram, IGTV situation? Uh, do, do you know, they, um, they're talking, they're filming another episode. Is that is it popular in Britain? Yes, although spoiler alert, I haven't watched it yet because at the moment everyone's going nuts for it, and I need to wait for that wave to just to subside a little bit, and then I'll get into it. Yeah, yeah, you give it like two or three episodes. It doesn't get good until like the third episode, but um, oh, okay, yeah, it's like it's a uh, the Tiger King has has provided me fodder for many posts. Uh, you mentioned my Instagram a couple of times. If people go to the Instagram, you'll it, they might land on the page and be like, this is a surgeon because <laughs> in the past, like in the past three weeks, I've stopped posting about surgery altogether. And like, you know, cause surgery will come back and when it does, I will post more on surgery right now. I just want to post on entertainment and having fun and lighthearted stuff to, to, you know, to lighten the mood a bit. Um, so TikTok, obviously. What's that? We have to mention your TikTok. You know what? The TikTok is, uh, I've, I've, I have surgeon friends who have already, they, they hit the TikTok at the, at the right point and their followership has just skyrocketed. Um, you know, I have, uh, it's been more of an afterthought for me in that I, I kind of, I've been trying to repurpose things that I've used on Instagram to post on there. So it's funny on the, on Instagram, you know, I've up like, you know, hundred times as many followers as mm -hmm. I do on TikTok, And I keep posting little things in there saying, I wonder if this will hit because all it <laughs> takes is one thing to hit to, to give you the audience, you know? Well, we shall see. I will put the links to your social media in the show notes, obviously, but, uh, Dr. Christian Syria, what a pleasure to speak to you. It's been, uh, so, the pleasure has uh, been mine. Fun. It's, uh, 
I can't believe I'm just looking at the clock. I can't believe it's gone by so quickly. You're an absolute pleasure to talk to, and congratulations on what you've built here. It's it's awesome. So thank you. Thank you for having me be, be a part of it. I'm really, I'm literally flattered. Uh, whenever, you know, especially someone like yourself has built something like this with a you know huge viewership, whenever you, uh, someone f- would think that I have something interesting enough to say to their followers, at the, I'm very humbled by that. So thank you. I'm flattered. Oh, you're welcome. Do you know what? It would be so obvious just to talk to you about surgery and But for me, when I started researching, it was the entrepreneurship. And I just thought there's something to learn from this. And you are an outlier. I love an outlier. I love someone who's kind of, whose story doesn't necessarily make sense when you start tracking it back. I love that. Uh, Weirdos are the favorite, are are my favorite kind of people. People are different (laughs) and odd and weird. It's like, look, there's enough of the cookie cutter people in the world. So if uh, if I could be a little bit different... um, you know, I got the big poster of Dolly looking me right in the face every time I'm sitting here at the desk. You know, someone like that I look up to being different. You know, that's uh, standing, trying to stand out as much as you can. I love it. Well, thank you so, so much. Emma, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. I do hope you enjoyed that episode of the podcast. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I love getting your emails. It's my favorite part of my working day. If you want to DM me, maybe you just want to do something a little bit more casual, slide into my DMs on Instagram and Twitter where I'm at Emma Guns. Or if you want to chat with me and thousands of other listeners to the podcast, then simply go to the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode and click the link to join the Facebook forum. It's such a lovely, supportive brilliant fun place to hang out come join us won't you thank you so much for listening i will see you on the next one mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.